Season passes have always been a point of contention for the modern gamer. While some view it as a fun and simple way of guaranteeing future content and support for a game that they enjoy and love, others view it as a very problematic staple of the modern gaming industry. The primary concern, of course, being that you're paying upfront for content that either doesn't exist yet or that was created prior to the game's launch and wasn't included in the initial title. We've seen this multiple times, and we have seen it even with Ubisoft games, and even with the game that we're going to be discussing today, Assassin's Creed Origins, where if you pre-ordered the game, you would get access to a quest line called Secrets of the First Pyramid, which normally would cost you about five bucks in order to play through. Now, I pre-ordered the game, and so I got to play this quest that would normally cost you $5, and that was clearly cut from the core game in order to provide some sort of bonus for people who pre-ordered. I honestly can say that it was pretty lackluster. It lasted about 15 minutes and had no depth to it at all. Really, there was no harm done because the quest was not even significantly good. I would consider it forgettable if it were included in the main game. But as a matter of principle, that doesn't change the fact that the content was cut from the core game to be offered as an exclusive to those that pre-ordered the game or to those that were willing to pay $5 for it. But as for season passes, it's always been a bit of a mixed bag because on the one hand, it does guarantee that future content will come and it does give the developer enough head-fronted cash to make sure that they can produce the extra content and go big with it, quote unquote. But on the other hand, you are paying extra for content that some people would argue should have been in the core game to begin with. And this is why I decided to discuss the DLC, specifically the entire season pass for Assassin's Creed Origins. And this was primarily born out of both uh, an impression that the DLC left on me and also the immense interest on where Ubisoft is going. They're a gaming company and publisher that has changed a lot in the last year or two. And I think it's important to point out those changes and also what stayed the same. Was it simply a way of grabbing a bunch of cash from fans of the series and then quickly darting away without providing any significant amount of content? Or was it an honestly good value for your money and something that I would recommend? That is what we're going to discuss and by the end of this video you will have my answer. Now to begin, the season pass had a price tag of $39.99, and that's fairly typical for a season pass for a AAA mainstream title that costs $60 by itself. Now $40 is a lot of money. As I said, it's almost as much as the full price of the game, and depending on whether or not you got the game on sale, it might even be the actual price of the game that you paid for the main story and the main world that you explore. And so there's a lot that needs to happen in order for this season pass, this upfronted cost, to be worth it. Now the difficulty, of course, is that season passes can basically be evaluated in one of two ways. On the one hand, you can evaluate it as basically another game that would have been equivalent to the $40 price tag, or you can evaluate it as a piece of expansion content to the core game that, if you're buying DLC for it, you likely enjoyed to begin with. 
The Witcher 3 had some of the best DLC content ever created for a modern game, at least in my opinion, in the form of Blood and Wine and Hearts of Stone, but I don't think that those expansions should necessarily be compared directly to other games or to a standalone title that you could get for the same money, because that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to expand the experience of the core game as opposed to provide an entirely new one. Now don't get me wrong, I think those DLC actually could compare to a standalone game of the same price very, very easily and would be worth the money even in the face of that, but I think the way that you evaluate these DLC packs is important. Specifically because the people that will be buying Curse of the Pharaohs and the Hidden Ones DLC as standalone DLC purchases as opposed to season pass holders, they're not going to be people who didn't enjoy the core game. After all, if if you're buying DLC for a title, you likely enjoy that title. And so lucky for us, I enjoyed the core gameplay experience of Assassin's Creed Origins. Otherwise, I wouldn't bother making this video. And so the DLC was highly intriguing to me because it promised to change up the gameplay, change up the boss battles, the way that the world was structured, and the environment. Something that I found very interesting considering that I thought all of those were fairly sturdy and solid to begin with in the core game. Now the season pass is structured fairly simply, and it's actually in line with what many gaming companies do, and I'll explain it in just a second. Specifically what they do is they release two main large content packs or story-driven expansions, and then they also release smaller kits that are available very early on to tide players over with at least some extra content until they get access to the larger project that is in the form of a story expansion. Now, for Assassin's Creed Origins Season Pass, this took the form of the Roman Centurion and the Horus Packs, which basically were kits of different items that the player would get access to once they purchased the Season Pass, and also 500 Helix Credits, which could be used to buy specialty items in lieu of spending actual money on the microtransactions that are within the game, and then also access to the Calamity Blade, which was a specialty weapon that you got access to once again, once you put down the $40. Now what Origins Season Pass does that's very similar to other mainstream AAA title expansions and Season Passes is that they start off with a smaller story-driven expansion that is remarkably similar, at least in structure and gameplay, look and design, to the core game. Now what this allows the game development studio to do is to task a smaller team to use the same assets and core design mechanics to develop the first story expansion, and then a larger second team can begin work on the much more ambitious second piece of DLC that will take a lot more time and effort to develop. Specifically, the Hidden Ones DLC is very, very similar to the core game. It doesn't really do anything different. It's the same story. Basically, it takes place four years after the events of the initial game, and Bayek is effectively going around trying to tap down the rebellions between the Roman forces and rebel factions that are doing nefarious things in order to rev up their overall membership. It gives you access to a new outfit, to legendary weapon kits. Uh, it gives you access to a variety of smaller weapons. You get access to some new mounts and horses, camels that you can ride, and it even raises the level cap, but it doesn't do anything significantly different. Sure, you get access to the Sinai Peninsula. You get access to a few new areas that look slightly different, but nothing is done significantly differently. 
And so effectively, the Hidden Ones DLC serves to tide the player over until they get access to the Curse of the Pharaohs DLC, which will no doubt be much more satisfying and worth the cash that the player fronted. Now, when I first saw the list of elements included in the Season Pass for Origins, the only piece that I was actually interested in was the Curse of the Pharaohs, and I have no doubt that many other players also felt the same way. After all, Assassin's Creed Origins is a game about the early days of the Brotherhood. That's the entire point in the title, Origins. And so, the promise that we're going to get to explore the early days of the Brotherhood a little bit more, it's not, at least for me, as intriguing as getting to fight resurrected pharaohs. And so I and many other people that I have discussed this DLC pack with purchased the Season Pass in order to front Ubisoft the money to continue work on this game that we really enjoyed and to develop this DLC that sounded really, really intriguing. We got the Hidden Ones DLC, which was at the very least interesting, but didn't do anything differently, but it did tide us over until we got access to the one we actually wanted to play. This structure is also very nice, at least for me, because I play a lot of games, and so I had stopped playing Assassin's Creed Origins for a few months before I decided to sit down and go through the DLC, meaning that I was a little rusty with the gameplay mechanics. And so going through the Hidden Ones DLC, which was very similar to the core game, allowed me to catch up, level up my character, and get back in the swing of things before tackling the much more difficult enemies, opponents, and bosses that you'll encounter in the later portions of of the Curse of the Pharaohs DLC. And like I said, this is not innovative, this is not new, this is something that many game developers do. We saw it with Bethesda, with their season pass for Fallout 4, where we got a lot of base building, smaller kits of DLC to tide us over while they worked on Far Harbor and eventually Nuka World, which required a lot more work. And yes, we even saw it with The Witcher 3, where we got Hearts of Stone, which was a smaller, roughly 10 to 15 hour expansion that cost about 10 to 15 dollars, depending on where you got it, that used many of the game's core mechanics and areas, but later expanded and focused on the story and narrative and characters specifically. And then eventually we got access to Toussaint in the Blood and Wine DLC, something that many people considered to be The Witcher 3. Because it expands the game so much, it's almost as though it's its own standalone title. And so, considering that the Hidden Ones DLC only took me about five hours to get through, most of this season pass was riding on the Curse of the Pharaohs portion, as I personally expected when I initially saw the season pass. That was the only portion of it that I was really, really excited for, and the only one that I actually cared about. The Hidden Ones was a good appetizer, but now it was time for the main course, and that's going to be the majority of what we discuss. I'm going to be honest, the Curse of the Pharaohs DLC was one that really took some cojones from Ubisoft. Previously in the Assassin's Creed franchise, we have gotten these sort of surrealist environments and surrealist moments. For instance, in Assassin's Creed 3's DLC, The Tyranny of King Washington, we did get to see this surrealist uh, alternate history, but it wasn't taking itself too seriously. It didn't try to be a real story or plotline. It was just goofy, despite the fact that it was so broken most people couldn't even finish it. 
And yes, I'm still bitter about that. I wanted to make a video discussing that DLC as well, but I can't actually get it to load on my computer. It is completely glitched out and broken. There's just nothing you can do. So yeah, go team. Even going back to the core storyline of Assassin's Creed, going back to the first and second games, the entire idea is that we're dealing with pieces of Eden and a mythical civilization known as the first civilization. Basically people who take the form of what we would consider supernatural ethereal alien beings that have immense amounts of power and uh, basically possess these precursor objects that hold immense power. These types of Subjects and topics are nothing new to the series, but usually it's framed in a very particular way. Point being, the series doesn't take itself too seriously, but I personally can't think of any other time in the franchise when we've had to fight reanimated corpses of people that died literally roughly 1200 years before the game is taking place. It just hasn't happened. Now, granted, there haven't been that many opportunities for such a thing to take place, but this is a significant step in terms of absurdity that the game is taking. Now, of course, because it is a DLC expansion to the core story of the game, we don't tend to give it as much weight or bearing as the game's core story. However, it is still considered canonical to the franchise, so it should be taken relatively seriously. The writers over at Ubisoft didn't try to come up with some sort of uh, drug-induced state to explain why Bayek was fighting these beings. They actually explain it away using these elements of power and sources of power that the first civilization granted down while explaining that Akhenaten, the father of King Tut and the husband of Nefertiti, was the main source of all of these issues, the one that sort of abused his power and got into a system that he didn't truly understand. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not demanding a more serious or reasonable explanation of these events. I just think it's important to point out that if you're looking for a more realistic or grounded story, you're not going to find it here. We actually travel to the field of reeds. We travel to all of these smaller areas, which are beautiful in their own, sometimes creepy way. I absolutely love it in terms of an artistic viewpoint, but if you're looking for something that's very grounded in the series lore, I think it might be a little bit jarring. Speaking of which, let's discuss for a moment the variety of environments within the DLC. It is significant. Now, usually in the latter half of a season pass, we see some sort of significant redesign in the overall feel and atmosphere of the title. We saw this with Nuka World in Fallout 4 and Toussaint in The Witcher 3. In Origins, it's no different. We actually get access to several new areas, and while they aren't huge, they are, in their own way, significant and have their own feel, which I found absolutely intoxicating. For instance, Duat is an area that you get to later in the DLC, and this is actually where you eventually find Tutankhamun, the same King Tut that you might have heard of. This area is fairly small, but it has a very unique feeling to it. Everybody is just sort of moping around, and apparently this is the area of the Egyptian afterlife where the people who just kind of went through life without doing anything significant 
end up. It's sort of like purgatory for Catholics. It's just a place. Nothing cool, nothing awesome, but nothing terrible and horrifying happen. It's just sort of there. But on the other side of the coin, we get access to Aru, which is a beautiful place filled with flowers and a field of reeds. And this is where we find Nefertiti, the wife of Akhenaten, the father of King Tut. Now, speaking of these characters, when I first saw that we were going to be interacting with Nefertiti, Akhenaten, and Tutankhamun, I was a little, shall we say, reserved. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a huge ancient Egyptology fanboy. I was the guy that in his early days was reading through books about mummification while going to school and in my free time I'd be watching documentaries on how they performed all sorts of mummification practices and I wrote papers even though the class didn't demand them about how Tutankhamun died and the way that his bones calcified and likely using all sorts of specific resins he was cooked inside of the rapid I find it fascinating that's the point I'm trying to make I find this era of time fascinating and so to hear that not just a game was going to be set in Assassin's Creed I was highly highly intrigued which is why I gave Assassin's Creed Origins so much attention initially but to get the access to actually go back and interact with these spaces like Amarna and these other areas of ancient Egyptian history that most people never have heard of never will hear of and don't care about I found that fascinating and so electrifying I couldn't pass it up but whenever a game like Assassin's Creed is trying to tie together historical influences and characters it can often be done in a very ham-fisted way King Tut and Nefertiti are big names that if they attach it to the DLC will draw some attention, as they did. But the way that they integrated it into the story of Assassin's Creed actually was done fairly well. Akhenaten, you see, was the father of King Tut and was a formative pharaoh in his own right. And once again, I should stress, this is actual history. This is not necessarily just the game's lore. This is what actually happened. Akhenaten was initially known by his first throne name of Amenhotep IV, and he was known by this name up until his fifth year reigning as pharaoh, when he changed it to Akhenaten, which is what we know him as now. Now, the reason that this name change was significant is because Amenhotep translates to Amun is satisfied the fourth, effectively, whereas Akhenaten translates to effective for Aten, or the enforcer of Aten, depending on who you ask. Now, Aten and Amun are different gods in the Egyptian pantheon. Now, Amun was effectively known as the head honcho of the Egyptian pantheon. Later on, when the Greeks started to integrate into Egyptian culture, he was known as Zdeus Amon, or basically Zeus Amon, or Amun. And so what it effectively meant was that Amun was the Egyptian equivalent of Zeus, the head honcho of head honchos. And so when Akhenaten decided to transfer the focus of the Egyptian religion to the Aten, he pissed a lot of people off. Now the Aten is simply the sun disk. It's the circular object that gives life 
to people and plants on Earth. And Akhenaten found and felt that that was the true source of all power in the world and what should be worshipped. And so he changed the religion, firing the priests of all of the temples and instituting his own effective religion, even moving the capital from Thebes to a new city called Amarna, where he would be the head of the church and the state. Now, this is a huge transition. And just to put it in context, imagine the president of the United States moving the capital to some small town that he just built or she just built in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. It would be unheard of. Everyone would be freaking out and probably understandably so. It would be a ridiculous thing to do, filled with all sorts of unnecessary expenses and things that would cause unforeseen issues, as Amarna would eventually run into with all sorts of drought, hunger, starvation, plagues, famine, and the like. But at his core, Akhenaten is a fascinating character in not just the history of ancient Egyptian civilization, but also human civilization, because he's the first major character that we have a very clear historical record of that fought for the worship of a single deity. Now, tying it back to Assassin's Creed, in the Curse of the Pharaohs DLC, the way that they integrate Akhenaten into their storyline is by saying that this sun disk that he was worshipping was actually the Apple of Eden, and that that object held such power that it effectively was able to cause all of the issues that you eventually run into throughout the course of the DLC. This means that we're not actually just casually running into Nefertiti and King Tut and Ramses II, all of these major big names in Egyptian history. We're actually running into people that would have some sort of connection to the story that we are experiencing, and I can really appreciate that. It means that the people over at Ubisoft Montreal that developed this actually did their research, did some reading, and intelligently integrated Egyptian history into to the story of this fictionalized universe, which I can personally really appreciate. Now, once again, I want to stress this is not a hyper-realistic story. This is not something that they're trying to be realistic with. As you run through the world, you're going to start running into all sorts of crazy characters like Anubis warriors, and you're going to run into all sorts of birds with human heads that are weirdly stone, but also flesh. You're going to run into pharaohs that are resurrected from the dead that you have to fight in many boss battles. You're going to encounter some things that very clearly are absurd, but if you have fun with it and you approach it just with the open mind of having a good time, you're going to have just that. Now I've said multiple times over throughout the course of this video so far that this is primarily story-based as a season pass. It doesn't focus very heavily on significant gameplay changes that alter the way that you should think about approaching certain situations. While the moveset is at its core the same, what has changed is of course the level cap and some new abilities. And as you level up, you're going to be able to purchase more abilities and level up your equipment effectively, giving you new abilities and powers that you might not have had before. 
This is one of the things that I really liked about Assassin's Creed Origins is that it laid the foundation to have a very large repertoire of upgradability. As you go through, you can gain all sorts of new weapons. If you find one that you really, really like that has certain perks and abilities that you really like, whether it's fire damage, poisoning, bleeding, slicing, bludgeoning, whatever it may be, you can keep that weapon and simply upgrade it using the money that you find and different equipment and resources and that way you can keep it leveled with your character and the enemies that you will be encountering throughout the expansions. But in addition to this, as you explore the world, whether you're going through the Valley of the Kings or you're going through Aru or Duat, you're going to be finding weaponry, equipment, and resources that you wouldn't have found elsewhere. And to be honest, the most fun that can be had in these expansions within Origins is when you really give yourself over to the looting, equipment, and leveling that they've structured. If you try to sprint through the campaign, you can, but you're going to have a bad time. You're simply going to be checking off the boxes and doing what the game asks of you instead of exploring and leveling your character up as you go. This is something that I was somewhat conflicted on whether or not I should heavily criticize because most games behave in this way. You have to have some sort of proactivity as the player in order to spark the fun to be had. You can't simply expect the game to carry you in having fun. To expect that would be unfair and uh, frankly kind of ridiculous. When I sit down to play Until Dawn, for instance, there is a lot of fun to be had within the game, but I have to give myself over. I have to turn off whatever else I'm doing. I can't be browsing social media or watching Family Guy or South Park on Netflix or Hulu while I'm doing it. I have to give myself over and give the game the attention that it requires. And when I do that, when I put myself into its lap, it takes control and I can have a good time, but it does require both give and take. And this game, Assassin's Creed Origins and its expansions are no different. Now this may be hard for some people because Origins is sort of a midway game. It's more of an action RPG allowing for variability within the gameplay and combat specifically, but it doesn't offer much variability within the actual campaign. Really, it doesn't offer any at all. The only variability is in whether or not you complete some of the optional side quests, but even those are very, very straightforward. The paths that you can take within those quests can be varying but at the end of the day, the conclusion is always going to be the same. Because of this, role-playing can often be difficult for some people, because when you're sitting down to play a game like Origins, you have to put yourself in Bayek's shoes. You can't tweak Bayek to be your own type of person, somebody who is either incredibly evil or incredibly generous and giving. He is who he is, you just have to get within his head and explore the world the way that he would. And when you do that, you can have a fantastic time, but it's not the full level of freedom that some people expect from an RPG. All that being said, if you can get within Bayek's mind and sympathize with what he's doing, you will have a good time within the Curse of the Pharaohs and the Hidden Ones DLC, because all of these decisions that he makes are going to be more impactful for you, even though they were scripted and chosen for you. 
But to be honest, the discussion of whether or not it's easy to be immersed within a game that takes choice and free will out of the equation, that's a discussion for a whole nother video. And if you want that video and that discussion, we can have it and we can do it. Let me know in the comment section below. But as of today, what we're discussing are the DLC and the expansions. And the main point of this entire diatribe has been to say simply, you need to give yourself over. And when you do, you're going to explore the world, read the scrolls, you're going to loot the bodies, you're gonna do all of these things the game expects you to do, and you're going to have a great time. Now I mentioned that the bosses change slightly within the Curse of the Pharaohs, and this is true. They do gain some new abilities, they become taller, larger, have new weapons, and are very, very powerful, not to mention very, very high leveled. But at the core, they tend to have very simple move loops and all you have to do to defeat any one of them is put your shield up straight to the right and wait for your opening. And then you get in there, take a few hits, wait till it's safe and repeat. Now, this is no different than what most bosses are like, regardless of what game you're talking about. But I was hoping, especially since we're in such a surrealist environment, to have some sort of magic or area of effect attacks implemented into the overall combat but it's not really done it's once again the same basic combat that you would expect and that you enjoyed hopefully from the core game it's just taken up a notch and made a little bit more severe but if you're looking for something to be fundamentally different it's not really here now to compensate for this, I actually recommend going through these expansions on the Nightmare difficulty. Luckily, Origins does have a moving difficulty slider, so if you want to approach the late game with a higher difficulty setting, you can do that. And it's as easy as hitting Escape a couple times, going through the menu and doing it, or hitting Start menu and going through it. You get my point. Now this will mean that multiple times you're going to be fighting bosses who can either one hit you or who will be able to two hit you at the very, very least. This means that you have to get through a fight without making a single mistake, otherwise everything will come to an end. And you have to make sure your equipment is properly leveled and properly suited for the opponent you're going up against. It actually forces you to play the game the way the designers wanted you to play it, which at the core of difficulty is the entire point. It forces you to approach the game intelligently and the way that the optimal player would. Now everybody's going to be different and not everyone is going to enjoy trudging through the game on the maximum difficulty, but I at least ask that you give it a shot because if you go at least an hour on the nightmare difficulty, you're going to find yourself playing much more cautiously as an assassin in what is after all an Assassin's Creed game, being very cautious, evaluating your options and approaching enemies intelligently as opposed to simply running and gunning your way through them. One of my main criticisms from the core game itself. This because the dangers of a revamped combo system, specifically the kind of revamping that Origins underwent with melee combat, is that you tend to focus on the melee combat when it's been restructured and revamped, instead of the stealth mechanics being revamped and being the focus of the gameplay in a game all about assassins. 
Regardless of what word is on the front of the box, people are still going to play the game in the way that they enjoy. And if the combat is redesigned in such a way that it's really fun, they're going to be pursuing that combat, even if it provides some sort of ludonarrative dissonance, they could care less. They're in it for the fun, which is not a bad thing, but it is a reality. But with all of this said, I feel as though we should close by discussing the overall impact that this season pass and this DLC has on the franchise as a whole. Really, these expansions are what I would like to expect from Ubisoft in the future with Assassin's Creed Odyssey and with other titles in the same vein. Clearly, they're going to go back to the annualized release schedule. They made it clear that Origins was an exception because of the movie. They were able to stress the development cycle and stretch it out so that they would have a four-year dev cycle instead of a three-year dev cycle. And as a result, we got the gap, which made it appear as though Ubisoft took extra time to develop the game, when in reality it was always going to be that way. Origins is a huge step in the right direction, and the DLC I find to be an expansion on the core ideas that made Origins such a fun game to begin with. Season passes are a fairly simple concept. If you enjoyed the game after playing it and wanted more, you purchase it so that you can guarantee that that extra content will arrive and that you'll get to play it, and it encourages the developer to make more of what you enjoyed. Now, of course, we run into hiccups when people pre-order the game and buy the season pass before playing the game, but that's sort of beside the point. The point is, we're discussing the season pass as a collection of content for $40. And for $40, I actually feel as though I got a pretty good amount of content out of the game and out of the expansions that I received. In total, I clocked in about an extra 20 or so hours into Origins once I sat down to begin going through the DLC and the elements within the season pass. And so for that, on a per hour basis, it's actually not a bad value. Going all the way back to the beginning of this video when I stressed the two different ways that you can evaluate a season pass and DLC itself, if we evaluate it as 20 hours for $40, it's not necessarily a bad value. Uncharted 4 or The Last of Us are titles that last anywhere from 14 to 18 hours, and most people consider those games some of the most formative of their console generations. And so, I can't say that this is necessarily a bad value. Now, emotional impact, narrative implications, all of that weighs into it. Some people would say that the 14 hours of The Last of Us was more impactful and significant than 14 hours of Assassin's Creed, but at the end of the day, we're still talking about hour per dollar. But that's why I don't think that you should necessarily review and analyze DLC and expansions in that way. It just doesn't really make sense to me. What does make sense to me is to look at it as a fan of the core game and whether or not I feel as though I got what I paid for. 
This makes the evaluation of his season pass and DLC incredibly subjective. What's true of me is not necessarily going to be true of you, but I'm guessing if you've watched the video all the way through to this point, you're probably a fan of the franchise and likely of Origins itself, in which case I can recommend that you try The Curse of the Pharaohs. The Hidden Ones, I wouldn't necessarily say is worth its weight in gold. It really is just a warm-up for the Curse of the Pharaohs, a way of you to get leveled up to that point, but if you want to just purchase the Curse of the Pharaohs DLC and do the auto level scaling that it allows, you don't necessarily have to bother with it, in which case I would say the Curse of the Pharaohs is the main component of the season pass that you should look for. And considering the fact that you would only have to pay as of right now at the time of making this video $20 to get access to the Curse of the Pharaohs as an expansion, I can recommend that for the experience that you garner. Even just as a fan of Egyptian lore and mythology, it's incredibly satisfying and mesmerizing to explore these mythical worlds and to fight these pharaohs, kings and queens that you've read about for years. But that's about it from me. Thank you for watching, and if you want to see more videos like this one, make sure to like the video and subscribe if you haven't already. Also, if you're somebody who's willing to financially support the content that you enjoy and watch, please check out my Patreon down below. You get all sorts of early access to videos just like this one, as well as exclusive times to meet up, chat with me, have Skype hangouts, and all sorts of other cool stuff. But with all that said, thank you for watching. I love you all, and I'll see you in the next video.